This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Following last year's Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade, several states have worked to pass legislation codifying abortion access for state residents. Here in Washington, Senator Yasmin Trudeau recently co-authored a bill that would additionally protect those who come from out of state for reproductive health care, as well as gender-affirming care, and she joins us now to talk about it. Senator Trudeau, I know it's been a very, very busy day. I also know that you have somebody uh, with you right now, so I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that and say thank you for taking the time uh, today. Thank you. No, I really appreciate it. And in fact, we just had a hearing um, on on the companion bill that's moving yesterday. And so this is really uh, timely and I'm I'm happy to do it and hope that my little guest will let us get through as much as we can today. Uh, Or as I like to refer her, uh, especially as it relates to this conversation, my little choice. Your little choice. Perfect. I will try and speak as softly as I can so as to not disturb. Um, Let's just start here. First and foremost, we know that abortion rights are very much on the line in this country. Why were you moved to put forth this bill? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, it was really personal for me when the Dobbs decision was leaked. I was actually at a political event where I took my mom and my mom never gets involved in politics. She just happened to be with me because I was uh, very pregnant and had my four year old with me as well. But I remember I was like, I've been talking about this issue with her for quite some time because my mom is very pro-choice. She was forced to give birth to me at 14 years old. Um, and so she has a very uh, interesting perspective on this being a, a you know, ha- being in that situation at such a young age. And so we've talked about it over the years. She's just this is one of the things she always thought was fundamental to freedom. Right. In terms of bodily autonomy. And again, not a political person at all. But this one did has come up over the years. And so when I was at that event, I turned to her and I said, hey, mom, you know, it turns out that this protection may go away on the federal level. And she really, she was like, how can this happen here? How can this happen in this country? And I said, well, in this state, we have protections that have voted, been voted in by the people that have been codified by the legislature. And she said, well, what about everybody else? What's going to happen to somebody in Texas, in Idaho, and somewhere else? And so that really struck me deeply. And it would, Representative Hansen, who uh, uh, has worked the companion bill um, on this, you know, he he brought forward this idea to me. And so I was already kind of stewing um, in my mind. And then when he said, hey, I've been looking at this, I just jumped on it. And I said, let's do it. How can it happen here? I think that really resonates uh, with everybody watching and listening right now. I think we all have the same thought. And, you know, since this does concern people coming in from out of state, I'll ask you, as it stands right now, what sorts of protections do people have or not have when they are coming here for this kind of care? I mean, so it depends on what the state laws are in their own state. So there are laws that are happening across the country that are criminalizing um, individuals for seeking or assisting someone to seek abortion, abortion care, gender affirming care, because gender affirming care is part of this bill, right? So that um, it includes those protections. And so for those states, this says you make whatever laws you want in your state. But when someone comes into Washington state, we protect them. And so we protect them by also providing immunity um, if they may be subject to prosecution for your state law. So I think what we know that there is going to be, um, and there already is a lot of folks that are traveling to Washington state to seek this care, particularly from our neighbors in Idaho, for example, that are taking these measures. So this says, not here. If you come here, you will be protected um, by the shield law, which is what we, the name of this law as well. You will be shielded from liability, um, whether you're a provider or whether you're someone that's coming to seek, um, seek access to care. 
Just anecdotally, do we have a sense of how many people are currently coming to the state for these kinds of services? I unfortunately don't have that information with me now. I know there are some providers and, and maybe someone or at my team can respond with the specific numbers, but we know it's already happening. We've heard from providers like Planned Parenthood um, that have said, you know, we are we are very, very nervous. We already have an influx. And frankly, even in Washington state where we say it, you do have access to care, we have deserts. Uh, of, you know, in terms of accessing that care. And I think that's really important. Well, so speaking of that, it is my understanding that we have lost about a third of abortion providers in the state. So, you know, even as it remains legal here, how do you think we ensure continued access for folks? Yeah, we have to. And I think you will see that through the budget, a lot of support. Um, to make sure that we not only have uh, more access to care across the state, um, but that we are also going to be, you know, the influx of folks that are coming in are going to continue to come in. So both of those are priorities, which is why you'll see a a substantial amount of investment um, coming out of our budget, or I'm confident you will, um, to address that. And we've seen other pieces of legislation like Keep Our Care Act, right, that talks about these deserts that are created through mergers and consolidations, especially by religious hospitals that do not provide and won't provide these types of access to care issues. So a lot of moving parts to this conversation, but I think everybody in the legislature that I've spoken with, at least on our, on my side of the aisle, is committed to it. Well, let's talk specifically about your bill, 1469, as it is making through. This is the House version that's making it through. I gave kind of a cursory overview in my introduction, but can you just tell us specifically more about what this bill does? Yeah, uh, this bill, uh, it literally shields, as I mentioned. I mean, it's got a lot of complicated parts because it deals with extradition laws. Um, it deals with other pieces that are probably a little bit wonky for purposes of this podcast. But it essentially says that if you come here to provide or you come here to support someone in seeking access or you're the person who is accessing either reproductive or gender affirming care, that you are subject to the laws of Washington state and this law will shield you from any liability or essentially immune you, I guess put in another way, from any liability um, should your home state choose to criminalize or forbid this practice. Um, that in its simplest form, it, and again, it gets very legally wonky, but that's you have two lawyers that have to ensure uh, that wrote the bill that have to ensure that we don't get in any issues, right? We have things like the full faith and credit clause, um, other things that come up in terms of how our laws interact with the laws of other states in the U.S. But um, I believe this bill is very legally sound and does exactly what it's um, intended to do. Well, one of the other things that it does is it prohibits the governor from performing extradition. And that makes me want to ask, because everything post-ops obviously has changed so dramatically, how concerned do you think we should be about the threat to reproductive rights here in Washington, particularly in, in the future? You know, I think, are you talking about in terms of our own access to reproductive Correct. care? Yeah. Uh, I think the voters have spoken, right? We've had actually passed by the voter legalizing and codifying access to reproductive care. Uh, We continue to see the legislature progress in areas like gender affirming care, for example. Um, We've seen a number of bills, including a bill this session that really tries to wrap our arms around youth uh, that may be out on the streets as a result of not having a supportive family when it comes to uh, seeking gender affirming care. So this state has spoken. Um, It would take... uh, quite a wave, I think. I, I don't. I can't imagine a scenario. But that being said, I think we all should continue to pay close attention to this, because if majorities change, right. absolutely, the legislature could unwind what has been done. Um, I think it would be politically very unpopular. I think a lot of the conservative voices on this um, 
were surprised at how much of a wave this this created, right? In terms of voter, uh, how how things turned out in the elections. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch how the more conservative thinkers on this issue adapt to what I think is a political reality that people want access to reproductive and gender affirming care in the state of Washington. Well, you know, speaking of that specifically, and you talk about the possibility of there being a, a change uh, in, you know, which uh, party is running the state. There was a Senate joint bill to amend the state constitution to guarantee a right to abortion in perpetuity. This failed to advance out of the Rules Committee. What are what your thoughts are on the bill and, and why it didn't advance? Well, constitutional amendments are very difficult. They require a two thirds vote. So that means that you actually have to get a good portion of the other party. Now, if you have a a majority that's two thirds, you know, that becomes less difficult, but we don't have that here in Washington state. So what would have happened is if you pull a bill out of rules that needs a vote that it doesn't have, it can be a very nasty floor fight and you get nothing. So there may, I wasn't the sponsor of that bill, but I do know that constitutional amendments have been proposed for a number of different um, issues and they, I've never seen one passed and I've been interacting or working for and around the legislature since 2015. Um, I asked many of my colleagues uh, that are serving with me and they can't recall in, in, in recent memory why that was passed. I do know the governor was very supportive of that, but like I said, that doesn't change the fact that you have to have a two thirds vote. Yeah, it's an extraordinarily high bar, uh, and I think necessarily so. Um, another bill that I would love to ask you about while we have you here is a bill uh, known as a privacy bill known as My Health, My Data. This is 1155. So this addresses the collection, sharing, and selling of consumer health data, including reproductive health data. The original bill completely prohibited uh, the selling of health data of all kinds. This was supported by Attorney General Bob Ferguson. The substitute bill that is in existence now now that, that is going to be considered by the Senate, many feel is significantly weaker. There are a number of loopholes and exemptions that have been introduced that in certain instances do, the, do allow for the selling of health data. Many of these are opposed by the attorney general's office. You were the chair, the vice chair rather, of the Law and Justice Committee, which had a hearing for the bill this week. You also used to work for the attorney general's office. I just wonder, what are your thoughts on this bill and the changes to it? Yeah, so I, as far as the substantive changes, I've been deferring to our chair because she did sponsor um, the Senate version of this bill and will have a striker, I think, to address some of the things that have um, changed. But speaking to the piece that I'm very concerned about and that uh, ties to my experience working uh, for the Attorney General's office is around the enforcement. So the enforcement on the bills actually was significantly weakened um, in the sense that there was an amendment off the floor uh, by a representative of Amy Wallen that ripped out the private right of action. So the per se for private right of action. And if I may get wonky with you on this, um, I think it's actually relevant to a larger discussion on data privacy that I was involved in when I did represent the AG's office. I do not represent the AG's office anymore, just to be clear. Understood. Um, So that's not my position. But what I learned there, um, so when you, a private right of action, just for folks that are listening, is the ability of a person who is impacted by a law to then bring a, bring litigation to, uh, to cure whatever that harm was, right? So in a very simplistic way. Um, There are a lot of tech companies that are very concerned about private rights of action. And so on the broader issue of data privacy, they have fought to take out a private right and say, well, we'll just allow the attorney general to enforce these things. Now, the thing to be aware of as a private citizen is that when when the attorney general takes up something, it cannot be on behalf of an individual. It has to be as far as greater harms, right? So there's an analysis about whether you can bring a case as standing by the AG as it impacts Washingtonians more broadly. Um, And we could talk about cases that have uh, sort of played out, but again, that might be a little too wonky. But in this bill, 
where you have a specific that the intent and the purpose of the bill is to say for an individual, it is very important that that information not be leaked and not be shared for many reasons that are very personal. So to me, it undermined the whole intent of the bill to remove a private right of action, because in addition to what I already named, if you have an attorney general that is more conservative and historically that office has been more conservative as opposed to what who we see now um, leading that office, I think that you sh we should all be very concerned that even if even if you do have harm that is to broader Washingtonians, if you kept the language that was in as it passed off the House floor, they may never bring a case. And so the, the bill may never, you know, those protections that you say apply don't. And there's one quote that's actually, um, you know, from, I guess, I say founding fathers. I know there's there's problematic pieces to that, but from a founding fathers, that's a case called Marbury v. Madison. There is no right without a remedy. You can put whatever you want on a piece of paper that somebody has a right, but if they get harmed and they have no ability to hold whoever's harmed them accountable, then you don't really have a right at all. And to me, that is the crux of a private right of action across the board, and certainly why it's very alarming in this bill that it was removed. So, and I hope to restore it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so I, I was going to ask, because you're, you're, you're in the Senate and you're going to be voting on this bill, would you also want to eliminate the change to per se violations? And just for people who, you're, you're an attorney, so I'll let you explain what that yeah. is, because you'll do no, better I, than I will. I want a per se violation. I'm going to be asking that the per se is very clear um, back in this bill. Because that per se, I mean, it's been over 133 statutes in law. It's very important to consumer law, and it's very dangerous to erode that. So it is, to me, it's a fundamental piece of consumer protection law. And I will just be totally candid. I think tech, tech companies want to set a precedent through this bill um, that is very dangerous and that we should all pay very, very close attention to. I wholeheartedly agree, uh, and this does seem like one of those uh, before and after moments, and I think a lot of people are going to be watching this very, very closely. Before I let you go, and speaking of which, we know that the Washington legislature has been a leader on a number of issues, particularly during the Trump years. Generally speaking, how do you see the role of Washington in affirming that we will continue to have access to abortion in this country? I've been very, very proud of my colleagues. There have been some really tough conversations in the legislature this year around public safety, around drug possession, around all kinds of things that I think. Um, but on this issue, we have been steadfast. We have been united since the Dobbs decision leaked in saying we're going to put teams together to track what's happening. We need to identify what the funding sources are. We need to identify that there are access to care issues. Um, uh, even before session started in a coordinated way that I haven't really seen um, yet on a number of other issues. So I've been very impressed and very honored to work with my colleagues in the Democratic caucus. Um, and I think you're going to continue to see very, very strong stance on this. That being said, it, that's why it was particularly disappointing to see an amendment from, um, you know, from someone in my own party. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to disparage her or her intent. I haven't talked about that. But I think that was a, probably the first moment that I sort of scratched my head and was like, well, this this is very different um, than what I have seen and heard about this conversation. But I think for the folks that are listening um, to know that at least for those of us in the Senate Democratic Caucus, we are very firmly committed to making sure that rights um, and access to care are not an issue for us here. And with this bill, my shield law bill, won't continue to be an issue um, for other people that can travel in state.
Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for that and for those words. So just one final thing, your bill uh, that protects people coming out of state uh, to seek abortion care and gender affirming care is advancing, as I mentioned, is House Bill 1469. What would you like to see people doing in support of this bill? You know, I think reaching out and just expressing why this is so important, particularly for those folks across the aisle, it was very disappointing that it felt like there was a concerted effort for the hearing yesterday to really just slam it with people that were, um, you know, anti-trans, to, to the point where it was it was incredibly offensive for me to listen to, I'll tell you that. And so I think to the extent that there are people that have stories and can tell their stories and make sure that we are balancing the voices of who, who we know this, these bills are gonna apply to, please share them, please reach out, please, please share them as broadly as you can. We are gonna get this done, we are gonna get this done. But I think when it comes to a narrative that it becomes dangerous, this is a state that I believe in, and I'm confident supports the rights of all LGBTQT people and the rights of anybody giving birth. And hearing from the public is part of that narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, personal stories absolutely matter. Uh, and, it, and, and it is a matter, I think, of taking control of the narrative and, and saying, as you say, that we as a state absolutely affirm uh, reproductive rights and also gender affirming care. Senator Yasmin Trudeau, this has been uh, extraordinary. Thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are. So really, thank you for taking the time today. Well, honestly, I thank you so much. I know we had some interruptions and some distractions, but um, I <laughs> this is the beauty of life, right? We have children, we have things that happen, and this is just what I bring to the state legislature. So I hope all the listeners and you all included um, can appreciate that. So thank you. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you'd like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisiblepodcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.